Good morning. Welcome to Bethel Mennonite Church. Uh, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for this first song? Good morning and welcome again to Bethel. We are glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, if you will notice in the bulletin or online, uh, we're starting our Christmas series today. And so from now through Christmas, uh, we'll be focusing on the Christmas story. And we're excited to have you here and joining us with that. Just a few announcements before we get started this morning. This coming weekend is our Living Nativity. So it's a time for folks who want to drive through and see a living presentation of the life of Jesus Christ that's this Saturday and Sunday evening. We need a little bit of help, and then we need you to invite people. But the help that we need uh, on Saturday, we could use a few more actors. Uh, typically, you don't have to do a lot besides stand there and kind of move around a little bit. Uh, but you can go out back, and you can talk to... Uh, Chris Troyer and Omar, and they can help you find a place on Saturday if you're going to do that. We also need a little help on Thursday for setup, and that begins like at 4.30. 
And sometimes people just show up uh, to help us set up, and we're grateful for that. Um, but we would like to know that you're coming. So if you're planning to be here on Thursday for the setup, uh, please let us know. And if you are in some part of the Living Nativity, if you're an actor, if you're doing uh, cookies, all of that, uh, in the bulletin are the times that you need to show up. Or if you're unsure, back in the foyer, there's a master schedule that tells you what time that you need to be here on Saturday and Sunday. It's really especially important for the actors uh, so that we can get you in costume. And then the biggest thing that we need you to do is invite people. So there are flyers in the back. Uh, We put something on Facebook. If you don't mind sharing that, let people know that we're here. Uh, It is safe for them if they just want to drive through and they don't even have to get out of their car. Or if they want to, there's some extra activities for them. But invite people to come. Uh, We love for people to drive through this time of year. Secondly, uh, this Saturday is our monthly help for Remnant Cafe. We do have uh, one person that signed up to help, but we need a little bit more help uh, preparing the meals, uh, delivering them, and we've been told that we're allowed to serve them again. Uh, If you want to help serve, uh, you can do that. Uh, Mark Peliquin is our new contact person for that Remnant Cafe uh, process, so go talk to Mark this morning and let him know that you could help this Saturday. Uh, We would appreciate it. And lastly, uh, a week from this Wednesday, December 16th, we're going to go out Christmas caroling. And we're going to meet here at the church at 6 o'clock that evening. It's a little bit earlier than normal, but we're going to meet here at 6. We'll divide you up into groups. We'll put you with people that can sing, even if you feel like you can't. Uh, And we'll we'll send you out uh, in different places to carol. It takes about an hour or so, and then you'll come back here and we'll have some refreshments here. So Pastor Jason puts together a list of widows and widowers that we can go and visit. But if you have a friend or a neighbor that you want to make sure we get to their place, please let Pastor Jason know and he'll get them on the list. And he divides that a bit geographically uh, so that the groups have a similar area they're traveling around. So that is a week from this Wednesday. So be sure to come that night. We would love to have you uh, participate in that. Now, if you will reach underneath your chair and find a red Mennonite hymnal and turn to number 545, uh, Lynn is going to lead us in a couple Christmas hymns this morning. If you don't mind standing again, we'll try to do this uh, standing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Number 545 in the Mennonite hymnal, the red book. Blessed Savior, we adore thee. Blessed Savior, we adore thee. We thy love and grace proclaim. Thou art mighty, thou art holy. Glorious is thy matchless name. Glorious. Glorious, glorious is thy name, O Lord. Glorious, glorious, glorious is thy name, O Redeemer, Lord and Master. 
light of all eternal days. Let the saints of every nation sing thy just and endless praise. Glorious, glorious, glorious is thy name, O Lord. Glorious, glorious, glorious is thy name, O Lord. From the throne of heaven's glory to the cross of sin and shame, Thou didst come to die our ransom, guilty sinners to reclaim. Glorious, glorious, glorious is thy name, O Lord. is thy name, O Lord. Come, O come, immortal Savior, come and take thy royal throne. Come and reign and reign forever, be the kingdom of thine own. Glorious, glorious, glorious is thy name, O Lord. Glorious, glorious, glorious is thy name. Let's turn back to number 129. Number 129. What child is this? <clears throat> what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Who angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch our keeping? This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him love, the babe, the son of Mary. Why lies he in such 
such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding. Good Christian fear for sinners hear the silent word is pleading. This, this is Christ the King whom shepherds God and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him Lord the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come present, King, to own him. The King of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts and groan him. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him love, the babe, the son of Mary. Amen. You may be seated. All those emergency notifications. Ah, now we know who has their phone on, right? Well, it is my privilege to introduce to you this morning a new ministry that Bethel has supported on a one-time basis, um, but that we have been in conversations with and hope to add them on a regular basis. This is Loving Hands Ministries. Uh, They are based out of Bradenton, and they have a location in Dade City, and told me this morning uh, they will be opening a location in Georgia. And so Keith is going to tell us a little bit about the ministry, and then he has a couple of the guys here with him who are part of the ministry who I think are going to share a bit as well. So, Keith. Good morning. Good morning. My name's Keith Stolte. I'm the program director of Loving Hands Ministries in Palmetto. And I'm also a graduate of the ministry. Uh, I went through the program in 2015. Um, I continued to serve where the Lord had planted me. And um, my life was in and out of jails, prisons, uh, arrested over 100 times, seven years of my life behind bars. Uh, Grew up in the bars at the age of 15. And uh, Loving Hands Ministries took me in. It was founded by Pastor Wendell over 35 years. He would go into the jails and prisons. He would minister to the gospel. Men would give their life over to Jesus, and they would get out, and they would drop their Bibles off in the trash can on the way out. That was a little joke at the the jails, but people actually did it. They would lighten their load. They would get rid of everything they didn't need, and the Bible was one of it, and they would go back in. And Pastor Wendell would see these men come right back into jail. I've seen guys go back into jail not even in 24 hours. Some guys would make it a week. Some would make it a year. 
but they would be right back. And Pastor Wendell, he would minister the gospel to the same guys. So a, a guy was getting out of jail. Um, he asked his wife, Miss Nancy, can this guy come uh, have dinner? And he already had him there for dinner. He said, Miss Nancy, can he spend the night? And that's how Pastor Wendell started to disciple men. Because the Bible says, how can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. Okay? He calls us to be disciples. And, and, and you come out of a 20-year a drug addiction, 15-year drug addiction, you've got to learn something new. Uh, and, and the Bible goes all against everything that we've ever been taught. Okay? To be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it goes against the world. It's a whole new way. So it takes time to be discipled. Um, it's six to seven hours a day in the chapel. Um, it's about, on average, about 10 hours a week worshiping before classes. Okay, I don't know how many people worship the Lord for 10 hours a week. I don't get to do that anymore. But I did. And this builds, we have pastors that come in and teach the word of God. Uh, the guys do chores. They do three classes a day. They memorize scripture. They do devotions. They do intercessory prayer. And all this time spent with the Lord, it starts to get a hold of their heart, and they start to want to live for Jesus. I tell you, it's way better living for Jesus. Okay, I live for the world. It got me, the best out of all my own strength got me locked up in jail. That's the best I could do for 20 years. The Lord got a hold of my heart. Uh, I've been living for the Lord. I'm in Bible college. Um, I'm full-time ministry program director. That's my beautiful wife sitting up front. I've been married for a year. Okay? But, but Pastor Wendell would take these men in and disciple men two years completely free. Okay? I'm going to have Daniel share his testimony real quick. Um, go ahead, Daniel. Hi, my name's Daniel. I'm from Manatee County. Um, I grew up in a dysfunctional alcoholic family. Um, I've been in the ministry now for 17 months. Um, throughout my life, I started drinking when I was young and basically became a functioning alcoholic. Um, I had two jobs that were serious in my life, one of nine years and one of six, which I both I lost both of them through poor decision-making eventually. Um, I was married and divorced through my alcoholism. And my most recent job, um, I lost it because I started using drugs and got I made an operator's error and lost, uh, failed the drug test. And uh, at the time, I didn't have my license, and I was living in Orlando. So uh, I couldn't pay the rent and um, became homeless living in the woods out of a tent. And um, that was going on for quite a while, quite some time. And one day, I woke up broken completely just tired of it and broken, and I went down the lakeside, and I started praying and crying out to God. And um, he was there. He was listening. Um, not long after that, two of my friends that I hadn't talking, uh, spoken to in about 10 years that I used to be great friends with in high school, they got it in their hearts to come see how I was, to start searching for me. And uh, they got a hold of my sis siblings and found out where I was staying, around the area where I was staying. And one day, they took the time out of their day after a long day's work. They came and got into town around 11 o'clock. They lived in Manatee County, so they drove to Orlando area. Knew, it's, knew the area where I was staying, but not exactly. And uh, they'd been at it for a couple hours, and they were going to head out of town. They were looking literally in the dark, you know. And um, at the time, me and my brother and a few acquaintances were at the park drinking, and we'd run out. So my brother went to the store to get some more to drink. 
And in that transaction, my buddies bumped into my brother. So that was a divine intervention. I mean, God wasn't letting them out, you know, without me. So they were led back to me. They brought the pamphlet for Loving Hands. And um, at the time, it was a struggle for me because I had just gotten a job. So I was on my way back to a kind of a normal life. So it was a really strong, uh, tough decision, but it all made sense that I had prayed and uh, God had answered that prayer through this, this interaction. So I, I came back with them to Manatee County, applied to, for the ministry, and was accepted. And um, it's the best thing that ha- has happened to me because I always knew, I always prayed to God, Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship. Now I have a relationship, and that's so important, you know. And uh, I'm learning so much, you know, I'm, my memory, everything's coming back stronger than it really ever was. Um, my love, that love that was inside of me, Harvard, is actually starting to break out now. So, you know, chains have been broken. And um, it's all because of Jesus. You know, I got brothers now that care, you know, and they'll be watching over me for all time. And um, I'm just so blessed to be in the ministry. And I'd like to leave you with uh, Psalms 16, 7, and 8. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. Thank you. Um, one thing that's unique about Loving Hand Ministry, we don't charge the men or the family anything to get into this two-year discipleship ministry. Pastor Wendell said you cannot put a price on ministry. You can't put a price on a guy coming into a ministry to give his life to Jesus. Okay, and the, the doors are open completely free to your discipleship ministry. Thank you for letting us share. If, if you want more information, it'll be on the back. Uh, thank you, Pastor, very much. God bless everybody. I hope you're excited about what he, they just shared. We are excited as a church. And uh, as you know, we've been involved with Prodigal Daughters, which is the women's equivalent to loving hands and so we are excited to begin exploring this relationship with loving hands so that we have the men and women side and if you've been around bethel for the last number of years you've noticed that as we continue to support ministries we're looking at ministries that are local right around us uh, so that we can support them not only financially but we can invest in them with our hands and feet. And so a lot of these ministries were able to go in different ways and interact with their participants, uh, their leaders, and that sort of thing. And so we're excited about bringing these opportunities to you uh, to be able to do that. Why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for these guys and the ministry at Loving Hands, and then we're going to sing a little bit more together. God, what a joy to be here this morning. Uh, We love you. Just hearing this testimony just reminds me again afresh of how powerful you are to reach in uh, and in your own sovereign timing and ways, uh, pull a man out of addiction and and pull him out of the world and set his path on righteousness and and point him in the right direction and then surround him uh, with other men who love him and point him to Jesus, hold him accountable all these, this, is, this is why we exist, so that we can share your gospel with others and then come around each other and encourage one another as the day draws closer uh, for your second return. 
So I just pray for loving hands. I pray for the directors, the men that are there as part of the program. I pray that you would bless them with the resources they need to carry on the program. You would bless them with godly wisdom and direction. You'd bless them with powerful teaching and times of worship and devotions that these men will come out uh, and be new people, new creatures, ready to uh, head into the world with a totally different focus than what they had before. Thank you for letting us be here this morning in this kind of formal reminder uh, of Christmas and the fact that you came to us, Emmanuel, God with us. And I pray this morning as we learn what that means uh, through the story of Mary and Joseph, that we'd be encouraged again that this old, old story is still the one that we need, is still the one that's most important in our lives. So guide us this morning as we worship you and study you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the chance to come to worship you, to gather together as believers. We pray that this morning as we look at the first part of your birth story that you would help us to see what it means when it says you are with us. We pray, the Lord, that all the words that come out of my mouth would be everything that you want it to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn into Matthew 1. We're going to be verses 18 to 25. So when Sean came to me and asked me if I wanted to be a part of and preach in the Christmas series, I was excited to do it. I was also a little nervous because what more can you say when it comes to preaching around Christmas time? We've heard the story. Most of us have probably heard it many, many times. And then I asked him, I said, okay, well, what are you thinking? Like, how do you want to split it up? And he goes, I'm thinking that we're going to do a series called Awkward Family Christmas. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like fun. And he said, you get Mary and Joseph. And then I got more excited because, like I said a couple weeks ago, one thing I love about the Bible is that, for lack of a better way to say it, it doesn't try to hide its crazy. We don't try to hide these crazy stories and act like they didn't happen or try to clean everything up and make it seem like it's completely normal. Because the fact of the matter is, our faith isn't completely normal. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story that I think that the title is An Awkward Situation. And because I think that this is probably one of the most awkward situations that you'd run into in the Bible. And I just, I love putting myself in this position to try to realize what this story means. So we're going to be starting in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to their son, and he called his name Jesus. So when we read the Gospels, we get kind of a a few different images of what's happening. We see in Mark and John that they don't really dive into the early life of Jesus. They kind of just start when his ministry started and they go from there. But we see in Matthew and Luke, we get to see all that went into Jesus coming to earth. Luke actually starts a little earlier. Luke starts at the point where the angel appears to Mary. And I think it's important to start there because that starts this whole awkward situation. An angel appears to Mary and it says Mary had found favor in the Lord's sight. So this angel appears to Mary 
And Mary finds out she's going to have a child. And her first question to the angel is, how? I've never slept with anybody. How am I pregnant? And the angel doesn't completely explain how it's going to work or explain exactly how it did work, but just basically says, trust me, this is what will happen. So we see Mary then go off and we see her spend three months with her cousin Elizabeth. Because when the angel appeared, the angel told her, your cousin is also pregnant and it's a miracle that she's pregnant because she's really old. And so she kind of understands what you're going through. So we see Mary leave. And I think this is where we have to continually study the Bible as the inerrant word of God, that there are no mistakes in it, that it is perfect, but that the people in the stories are human. Put yourself in Mary's situation right now. You're probably a 16-year-old girl who's about to get married who's about to start her life and you're told you're going to be having a child. Doesn't matter that you haven't slept with anybody. Doesn't matter what other people are going to think. You're having a child and that child is going to be the savior. So just hearing from the angel that anybody else could understand a little bit what she's going through, I think all of us would have done the same thing. We would have immediately ran off to see her cousin. But why did she spend three months there? I think part of the reason why she spent three months there was she didn't really look forward to going back. She goes and she sees Elizabeth and right away Elizabeth believes her because it says the baby jumped in her womb. So you have a cousin who's excited, who believes your story, who understands what you're going through. And now you've got to go back and you've got to tell your soon-to-be husband the story. I don't think any of us would be looking forward to that conversation. We kind of envision sometimes this idea of everybody's excited because the Savior's finally going to come and I'm going to be a part of that story and I want to tell everybody. I don't think that's what happened. I think she spent three months working over every single scenario. How do I tell Joseph? What if he gets mad? What if he's going to leave me? What if he, is he going to believe me? Are people going to believe me? What is everybody going to think? We all struggle with what people think about us. And this is a pretty messy situation. So we see she's coming back and then this is where Matthew picks up. This is where we don't even know exactly how she told Joseph. I don't usually like awkward situations, but that would be one situation I kind of would have liked to have just sat there and seen the conversation. Just kind of sit there in the corner and she goes and she goes, okay, um, Joseph, I have something to tell you. I'm pregnant. And he goes, what? Um, But don't worry. I have been faithful to you an angel appeared to me and told me that I'm going to have this baby and that he's going to save the world. How many of us would believe that story? I would say zero. None of you would believe that story. 
even if she came and she said, well, in the Bible, you know, in Old Testament, it tells us that the Savior is going to come and that he's going to be born of a virgin. That's me. No. And we see Joseph basically has four options because the one thing we have to realize is it says she was betrothed to Joseph, which is similar to an engagement, but not quite the same thing. So the way it was done back then was basically Mary and Joseph most likely did not choose each other. They did not see each other and they grew up and they fell in love with each other as they saw the one walk in and it was just love at first sight. Most likely, historically and culturally, what happened is Joseph's dad and Mary's dad got together and said, hey, our kids are going to get married and this is what you pay me for my daughter and this is the end of it. So just figure that into it too of at this point, how closely connected was Joseph to Mary? He's been told this is who you're going to marry and it's, it's culturally what was going to happen. And so I'm sure he was excited about it. I'm sure he was ready to get married. But then what happened is as soon as you were betrothed, that was engaged, usually what would happen is the husband would go away and he would start to get a house ready. A lot of times it was just built basically in addition onto his parents' house which again adds another awkward situation into it. You're going to go live connected to your parents' house when you first get married. But he goes, he gets everything ready, and then when he comes back, they have the wedding, and that's when basically they consummate the marriage. But even up to that point, they're considered married. So he can do a couple of things. The first option he could do is he could believe her and he could marry her. Now, this is the reason I'm telling you the first option, because to start off the story, this is the most unrealistic option that there was. He is not going to believe her story. As much as we've grown up hearing the story, as much as we would say, well, why wouldn't he? It says she was, she found favor in the Lord's sight, so she must have been a good woman. He was not going to believe her story. So the second option is that he would believe that she's lying, that it's not actually the savior, that it's just a child born out of wedlock, and he marries her anyways and says, you know what? I'm committed to this marriage. I'll raise the child as my own, and we'll go past this. This would have been an option that could have gone a couple of two ways for him. It could have made him look better because he actually stepped up and still fathered the child. Could have made him look a lot worse because everybody looks at him like, you are an idiot. Why are you still with this woman? That's not your kid. Or they could sit there and say, well, maybe it is his kid. And now he looks like he had sex before marriage. That's a messy option. Third option is he could divorce her. And they had to go through the formal divorce procedures because they were considered married at this point. He could divorce her and he could make a big show of it to make sure everybody around knew that she screwed up, that it was her fault, and I want nothing to do with her. That option would have made him look the best, but probably would have cost her her life because most likely she would have been stoned for it. <laughs> 
or at the very least, completely ostracized by the people around her. So then the fourth option here is it says that, and this is the option he decided to do. It said he resolved to divorce her quietly. Meaning at this point, not a lot of people, maybe just him and Elizabeth, are the only two that even know she's pregnant. So the best way to save face for her is to just quietly send her on her way, divorce her, and we both go our separate ways and start over. And we actually see this is a completely just option because it says because he was a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he was going to do it. Culturally, that was the best option to take. Now, this would make him look fairly good. Not as good as if he would make a big show of it, but it makes him look fairly good. And it probably saves her life. So he's got, in his mind, resolved to do this, which is probably the option. Truthfully, most of us would probably take either option three or option four. We would still divorce her. We'd still send her on her way. But we'd have to decide, do I want to save my face or do I want to help save hers? So he's made up in his mind, this is what's going to happen. But it says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So he's going to divorce her. He doesn't believe her. And God steps in and says, no, what she's saying is true. Believe her. So this is the part of the story where we put our beautiful Christmas spin on it and make everything look all clean cut. And the fact that Joseph decides, you know what? God says, this is the child. I'm going to take him. I'm going to raise him as my own son. And we're going to start our lives together. But life is not clean cut and beautiful. Imagine what Mary and Joseph now had to go through. Imagine the fact that word is going to spread quickly that she's pregnant. It's probably going to spread that there's no way it's Joseph's child. I'm sure there was people that started figuring out the math and were like, well, Joseph's not around. Yeah, that's, we don't know whose it is. Imagine the shame that they had to go through. Because now, not only does Mary have to go through the shame that people believe she was unfaithful, Joseph has to go through the shame because most people are going to look at Joseph like he's a complete idiot. Why in the world would you take this woman? And I think the reason we call this is an, an awkward situation is because it doesn't just evenly work out. We see a couple different times when things happen and it says Mary 
basically contemplating these things in her heart. She kept them in her heart. I look at it in, in the, how the rest of the text work. I don't think Mary and Joseph told other people the full story. I think they had to just resign themselves to the fact of nobody's going to believe us anyways. Let's go about our business. We see this because we see a couple things. One, when Jesus starts his ministry, none of his younger brothers believe him. None of his younger brothers get saved until Jesus has died and risen from the dead. Meaning, they didn't think he was God either. They thought he was crazy. And don't you think if they were told from little on up by their mom and dad the story of Jesus' birth and how Jesus was actually conceived by the Holy Spirit and how Mary and Joseph hadn't even been together and how he was born in a stable, all of that. Don't you think there's a chance maybe at least one of them would have believed Jesus when he said he was God? But none of them do. Meaning Mary probably didn't tell him. They probably just signed themselves up for nobody's going to believe me. In fact, later on, we even see the Pharisees try to use this against Jesus that his story had followed him. His story that his mom had him out of wedlock had gone along with him. It wasn't one of those because in my study and I was like, well, maybe it was a little bit easier because right after Jesus was born, they went to Egypt and then after Egypt, after there for a couple of years, they, they went to Nazareth. And, and maybe it was one of those things, you know, when you just move to a different city and people don't know your story. And so they just assumed Joseph was Jesus' dad. They just assumed, well, they've got other kids. Jesus is just the oldest one. But we see later on, the Pharisees know that that's not true. So either it was a common story or the Pharisees did some serious digging on Jesus to find things bad about him. So all of this just doesn't seem to work out the way that we initially think it's going to. And I think this is a perfect example of real life. Sometimes when you do what's right, you're still going to get hit for it. People are still going to think badly about you. Look at Mary and Joseph. Okay, it says, Mary, when the angel appears, said, you found favor in God. So she's obviously a good person at this point. It says right here, Joseph is a just man, meaning their life probably before this looked like a picture-perfect life. You've got a really good girl and you've got a really good guy and they're engaged to get married they're going to start their lives together. They're probably going to have perfect little children and everything's going to look out great. And their life has been completely turned upside down, not because of anything bad that they've done, but because they're a part of God's story. And I think that is hugely important to remember because sometimes we have the mindset of, if I do what's right, everything in my life will work out. We're promised two things in scripture, two big things. That if you follow God, and you serve him wholeheartedly, 
you can spend eternity with him and that we will face persecution. That's what we're promised. And sometimes we think, well, as long as I do whatever is right, everybody's going to love me and my life's going to be easy. Joseph and Mary show right here that that's not the case. I'm sure they could have argued with people till they were blue in the face and said, no, both of us had, both of us had an angel come to us. Both of us told us what was going to happen. And he says, you're going to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure if they said, you're going to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit, people are like, what's the Holy Spirit? What is that? Well, it's, it's a third part of, of the Trinity. Like, they had no clue what that was. There was such a misconception on what the Savior actually was going to be that people, even if you would have said, well, we're told in Old Testament scripture that, our, that the Messiah is coming, that the Savior is coming, they thought he was going to be a military general. To, so to, to show up with this little baby and say, this is the Savior of the world makes no sense to people. Have you ever started to try to explain something to someone and then finally you're just like, you know what, forget it. Just let it go. I'm, I can't explain this to you. I had vision that's how Mary and Joseph were. When people met them and they had all their children lined up, I'm sure they didn't go, this is Jesus, he's God. This is James, he's the next one. He's a pretty good kid. He's not as good as his brother, but he's a pretty good kid. And they go down the line like, those like, are our children. This is Jesus, this is James, this is Jude. These are our daughters. They're going through the line. They tried to live as normal a life as they could, but their life wasn't normal. But then he continues on verse 22. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And this is found in Isaiah. It says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I'll come back to the second, but it says, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. So the angel says a couple things. Believe her, marry her. When the child is born, call him Jesus. And other people will call him Emmanuel. So what does it mean when it says God with us? Whenever I'm going to preach or do a Bible study or whatever, I always read through the story or this passage first. And the first thing I do is I just write out questions. And this, this time when I was preparing for this, I just wrote the question, what does it mean God with us? That was the big question that jumped out to me. Because this isn't a nickname. This isn't one of those things where it's like, some people call him Jesus, some people call him Emmanuel, some people call him Savior. Some... It's referring not to who he is, but what he's done. And this is the biggest thing I want to focus on in this story. Why is it so important to believe that God is with us? Why is that the word that was used in the prophecy? There's a lot of other names that could have been used. We could have seen Savior. We could have seen King we could have seen Messiah. We could have seen God. We could have seen all of these things. Why is it God with us? Emmanuel. I think
think it's because when we get around the holiday season, we have this mindset that everything is supposed to be beautiful and wonderful. I don't know about you guys, but as soon as it hits a time where it's socially acceptable for me to listen to Christmas music, which is debatable when that is, I'm usually a little bit earlier to other people. But when I turn on Christmas music, immediately I get in a better mood. When you hear about songs of sleigh rides and snow and all of that kind of stuff, immediately in my mind, I get this complete beautiful picture of a fire and it's snowy, but for some reason, I forget the fact of a lot of you have come from places where it's snow and there's a reason you moved to Florida because snow is not all it's cracked up to be. In the pictures, it's always perfect white snow. It's not that nasty, black, dirty snow that you drive in. But we get this image of everything is wonderful. That my kids, when they wake up, are going to all sit in front of the Christmas tree and everything they get, they're going to be so thankful that they got. And there's not going to be any crying. There's not going to be any tears. Truthfully, we've taken away Christmas gifts from our kids in the time it takes to travel from my in-laws to our house, which is about five minutes. We've told them, you've lost those Christmas gifts. The holidays are not always beautiful and wonderful. They're ugly sometimes. And I think the reason why it says God with us is because that's how life is sometimes. Sometimes life is ugly Sometimes you feel so beaten down and then you hit these holidays and you hit the time of Jesus' birth and you just don't have it in you to be in a good mood. You just don't have it in you to be happy. And this can be any time in your life. We see this story and we see the beautiful nativity scene and we see uh, Mary and Joseph sitting there and we see the fact that we think it was all great. And it wasn't. It was great in the sense that our Savior has come to the world and that that is the first step in us being able to receive salvation. But Mary and Joseph's lives were completely turned upside down at this point. And when I hear God with us, the hope is that that gives us encouragement. Have you ever been in a situation, we, we went through this when my dad was sick, and you're sitting in the hospital, and there's nothing you can do, and people come visit, and whenever you've gone to visit somebody in the hospital, you never know what to say. And sometimes, you just sit. You don't talk, you just sit with the person. And I'm sure anybody that's had someone do that for them will tell you how much of a difference that made. Because you were just there with them. And this is what we see in Christ. We see a God who came to earth, yes, to be the Savior, to die on the cross. All of that. Without that, we wouldn't be able to spend eternity with him. But he could have come to the earth and done it a completely different way. 
but he chose to come the way he did to show us that he is here for us, that he is with us. And so when you're struggling, if you don't take anything else from this sermon, if you pass over all of the awkwardness, if you pass over all of the issues that people had to go through, all of that, what's most important to take from this story is that we serve a God who knows our struggles, who's gone through an immense amount of struggles. I mean, think of, we think of Mary and Joseph and how their life was turned upside down. Think of Jesus' life growing up. Think of people talking about him, that his name is run through the mud because people don't believe that he's God. Think of the struggles in his own people when he went back to visit them. They want to throw him off a cliff. I couldn't imagine going back to the church that I grew up in or trying to come back even here to Bethel and preach to you guys and you just want to kill me and want nothing to do with me. That hurts. And so whatever struggles we're going through, Emmanuel, he's with us. So when you're hurting and when you wonder whether God will ever be there for you, I hope this Christmas story shows us he is. Shows us that God can get involved in our lives because he already did. He didn't come to earth, live as a child, grow up, die on the cross, raise from the dead, go back up into heaven and go, okay, guys, I'm out. I did my part for you. Live the rest of your life. Be a good person. Do whatever you can. I'll be waiting for you up here in heaven. He's still with us. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. Now, if you please stand, I'll go ahead and close this in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for this season. Lord, we thank you for the excitement and the time spent with family and the stories and the old Christmas hymns that we get to sing. Lord, we thank you so much for all that comes with this. We thank you so much for the joy that we receive during this time of year and all the little things. But God, above all else, we thank you that this story shows us that you are Emmanuel, that Christ is Emmanuel, that Christ is with us. That if we're hurting, that if we're struggling, that no matter what's going on in our lives, we know that we serve a God who's gone through it. We serve a God who's walking alongside us, that loves and cares for us deeply. And I pray that anybody in this room in a room this size, that there are people who are struggling. There are people that life just feels like it's beating them down. I pray that this story would be an encouragement. That Christmas time wouldn't be a difficult time, but would be an encouraging and exciting time. 
because it's the start of seeing you come to earth. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.